You are listening to the Well and Simple Podcast with your host, Marissa Zabo. Hello, and welcome back to the Well and Simple Podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Zabo, and bear with me this week. (laughs) That's always a really good way to start a podcast episode. Please bear with me for the love of God. Um... So the reason why I want you to bear with me is um, there's an NPR story this week that made it onto my radar, and I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings about it, and I think there are a lot of points for discussion here, and I hope that this episode will prompt you awesome, wonderful, amazing listeners to maybe engage in some conversation about this topic with other people. Um, and I hope that it might, you know, cause you to, to do some thinking on this topic, because I think this is a really important topic. Um, so the way I'm going to do this, and this might be a mistake, I fully friggin' admit that, but I'm going to work my way through this article with y'all. Um, and kind of offer you my thoughts bit by bit. I think that's the most organized way to do it and the best way to avoid my just sitting here ranting (laughs) for a half an hour, Um, which if you're still listening to this podcast after, you know, two seasons, you might actually like when I sit here and rant. But (laughs) for those of you who are like, all right, you need to reel it in a little bit, Zabo. Um, I'm going to try to do this in an orderly manner. there are going to be a lot of caveats here. You know, we are talking about minors. Um, so let's just, ugh, let's just do it. Uh, okay. So the groan is because that was literally my first reaction when I, I saw this headline. I was like, fuck. Okay. Let's, let's just fucking do this. Teenagers in bariatric surgery or gastric surgery. Um, if you're not familiar with what these surgeries are, it is also known as weight loss surgery. This is where they go in and surgically alter the patient's stomach in the hopes that that will prompt a large amount of permanent weight loss in the patient. And there are a number of different ways to do this. Um, you know, there's the, the sleeve. I don't think they do lap band anymore. There's complete gastric bypass. There's a number of different options. Some of them more dramatic than others in terms of results and outcomes. Um, it's also important to note that all bariatric surgery comes with significant risk all of it. Um, some more than others, but we really need to bear in mind here that this isn't like going in and getting a mole removed. Okay. This is life altering, permanent life altering surgery that is going to entail not insignificant changes. These are major changes in a patient's life for fucking ever. Okay, so we need to keep that in mind as well when we're talking about teenagers, people who are not even legally allowed to vote undergoing this surgery. I mean, teenagers, I mean, a teenager's perception of forever (laughs) isn't even that awesome. I mean, I'm 34 and my perception of forever isn't really that awesome. So we really need to, I, I think, keep all of that in mind as we're working through this. 
So this article starts by highlighting uh, this particular story of this young woman. And the opening line is that her body had become a battleground. Like, can we just pause on how fucking problematic that is? Right. And you read further on and basically it explains, you know, she had been gaining weight from very, very early on. And her pediatrician was always telling her mother that she needed to lose weight. Her mother was always trying to put her on different diets and the diets never worked. And <laughs> like, yeah, her body was a battleground because of these adults telling her how she was supposed to look and putting the blame on her. I mean, if you look at this, you know, starting at ages five or six was when this all happened. They were blaming a five or six year old for her weight. Like, just let that sink in for a moment. Five and six, she's not cooking her own fucking meals, right? She's not going to the fucking grocery store and buying her own food. She's definitely not sneaking out of the house to, you know, get food, you know, coming back with whatever. So the fact that from this early age, and you can really pick up on this as you read through her quotes, you know, this early age, she's been giving this message that there's something wrong with her and it's her fault. And you can see how she really internalized that. She was feeling guilty. She was feeling depressed. And this whole opening really gives me a lot of questions here, right? So it goes on to say every diet backfired. As a teen, she topped 300 pounds, started developing diabetes and liver and joint problems. Um, you know, and then it goes on to say she couldn't shop for clothes with friends. Boys rejected her. Her weight disqualified her from playing lacrosse or horseback riding. All of that took a toll on her mental health. Fat phobia is what took a toll on her mental health. Let's be clear here, okay? It wasn't her body that took a toll on her mental health. It was fat phobia from her mother, from her physician, from her friends, from her classmates, from the fashion industry, okay? That's what took a mental toll on her. So it goes on to say that um, one day she heard her mother disparage a family friend's decision to get bariatric surgery. In her mind, it's a cheap attempt to lose weight. You could do this if you just worked harder. It's a waste of time because you won't change your habits and it's extremely dangerous. Okay, so this is more of this really problematic mindset that this young woman was brought up with right? Again, this is placing the blame on the individual for their weight and not considering any other factors that go into how much we weigh. And this, again, it comes back to fat phobia, right? We assume that a person's weight is a direct result of how much they eat and how little they move and nothing else. We don't ever stop to think about, okay, could they have some underlying conditions? that may be contributing to their inability to lose weight? Could it be that they don't have access to fresh, healthful foods? Could it be, you know, maybe they aren't able to move around in the way that they want to? Um, you know, maybe, you know, there are all of these things, right? So, so many factors that go into our body weight. 
And when we place the blame on an individual and say, you did this, this is your fault. Like they did something wrong. That's harmful. That is very problematic. And so can you imagine as this young girl who is going through life, being told that her body is wrong and then being told that this surgery is cheating and it's on her to do the work to lose weight. Otherwise, she's lazy from her own mother. Okay. I'm mom. I am fucking calling you out on this. You are a problem here. All right. This is not okay. This is the kind of stuff that children should not hear parents saying. Okay. So this is the really problematic intro that this story starts out with here. Um, so it goes on, you know, obviously <laughs> goes on, you know, she got surgery, yada, yada, yada. So we have here this really, I guess I kind of want to say tale as old as time here. This is a really common tale where we have children who have what we have deemed a weight problem and their parents start telling them what they can and can't eat. Their physician starts telling them what they can and can't eat. They're put on diets. They are told that they need to weigh less. They are told that their body is wrong, that they need to change their body. And we also at the same time know how incredibly fucking harmful it is when we talk to children like this. In my opinion, children do not belong on diets. Children should not be taught some foods are good, some foods are bad. Children should not be taught that there is something wrong with their body and they need to change it. So, you know, from the outset here, we have so many problems and this is just one story of hundreds and thousands, I can guarantee you. And all this does is create more issues for that child as they get older in terms of their mental and emotional health, in terms of their relationship with food, their relationship with their bodies. This is how we end up with folks who are chronic dieters, who have eating disorders and body dysmorphia, and they end up with chronic health conditions because of that. This is looking at the human body as something to be fixed. And yes, I understand that she had developed chronic health conditions. She had developed diabetes, liver and joint problems. And yes, those are health conditions that need to be addressed. But treating weight as the sole cause can be a very slippery slope to other problems. And again, this isn't an issue that she created. And what pisses me off the most is this article acting as though the physician and the mother were being the responsible adults here and the child being the problem. So let's move along in this story, shall we? So the story transitions to talk about bariatric surgery as treatment. Again, we are treating the shape of a person's body, we are treating weight as a disease to be treated, right? This goes back to that language of calling obesity an epidemic, which was actually recommended against um, when this when it came before the World Health Organization. But hey, guess what? The diet industry lobbied, lobbied successfully 
to have it declared an obesity, uh, an epidemic, excuse me. Um, and we'll, we can get into the term obesity as a problem as well. So apparently, according to this article, obesity specialists in the American Academy of Pediatrics now strongly endorse bariatric surgery as a good option for teenagers who are struggling with severe, severe obesity. Oh, strongly endorse bariatric surgery for teenagers. They strongly endorse a dangerous surgery with lifelong ramifications for folks who are literally just starting their lives and cannot possibly fathom what lifelong implications could be like. Instead of, let's talk about food deserts. Let's talk about access to healthful foods. Let's talk about access to safe green spaces. Let's talk about income disparity. Let's talk about healthcare disparities. Let's talk about accessibility problems. Let's talk about how we approach weight in this society is a bigger problem for health outcomes than weight actually is. No, no, let's just fucking cut people open. <sighs> we have to remember through all of this, there's a lot of money in bariatric surgery. It is a profit-making, profit-seeking industry. And bariatric surgeons performing this procedure make a shitload of money off of it. So we really need to keep this in mind. Okay. <clears throat> what else does this article say? Okay. So then they quote the surgeon. And if I, if, if this man was talking to me and said this, I'd probably hit him in the face. Um, Dr. Thomas Inge a director of adolescent bariatric surgery at Children's Hospital Colorado and a lead scientist on a multi-year National Institute of Health study tracking young bariatric patients. So clearly this guy has no fucking skin in the game, right? Are you kidding me? He says, and listen to this horseshit, the effective treatments for severe obesity in adolescents are really just one. That is bariatric surgery. Says the guy who makes a shitload of money performing bariatric surgeries on adolescents. Can you imagine the gall, the arrogance, the fucking privilege and ignorance that this asshat has to be saying that there's only one treatment for severe obesity in adolescents, and that is life-altering fucking surgery. And again, ignoring... Access to healthcare, access to healthful foods, access to green spaces, green spaces. Let's talk about genetic factors. Like the list goes on and fucking on. But no, it's so much easier if I can perform a surgery and make a buttload of money on it. <sighs> Guys, I'm trying really hard to calm my ass down right now. <laughs> it's like, oh, so then he goes on to say, 
The unwritten story here is the remarkable disparity between the number of teenagers that are eligible for the surgery versus the number that are getting it. So he thinks that's a bad thing that more teenagers are not undergoing this surgery. Can you fucking blame them? I mean, so like, <laughs> so mad. Like, don't call it an unwritten story. Like, stop playing on your little miniature violin here, okay? So it says, Inge, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, I-N-G-E, estimates that only a tiny fraction of the young people eligible in the U.S. get bariatric surgery. Barriers to the treatment include its high cost, if not covered by a particular health plan, a lack of access to health care in general by many teens, and stigma. Huh. You know what's really funny? <laughs> All of those are the same factors that influence a person's weight and their overall health to begin with. The same factors that are preventing them from accessing bariatric surgery. So do you also see the irony here in him lamenting that more adolescents are not receiving this surgery while also declaring it the only effective treatment Oh. <laughs> and go, of course, it goes on. Also, research shows the procedure is offered much less frequently to people of color who disproportionately experience severe obesity and yet are less likely to be referred for treatment. This isn't news. It's not news. People of color across the board forever have had less access to medical procedures and healthcare in general. And again, we come to this treating weight as an illness to be treated and forget that weight is not an indicator of health. What is an indicator of health? Habits and access. Are people eating mostly healthful foods? Are people able to eat when they are hungry? Are people able to move their bodies in intentional ways without risking their well-being or safety? Are they able to access regular health care for basic health care maintenance? <laughs> That's really what is the problem here. Those are what are, are indicative of a person's overall health. Weight is not because I mean, I let me stop myself. Uh, okay, so that's starting to get into I mean, this bullshit really of how effective this is and some of the um barriers to access to it. Um it also goes on to say, interestingly, remember, health insurance companies are fucking evil bastards. Health insurers deny about half of teams' initial requests for the surgery, though Medicaid programs do sometimes approve the procedure in this group. Right? Tell me a time when health insurance has not been evil and denied people things. Um, and this, the cost, so this is the kicker here. Take a second. I'm going to give you a minute. Guess how much it costs for bariatric surgery. Yes, it's $20,000 a surgery, $20,000.
Of course they want to perform these surgeries. Of fucking course they do. And it's unclear whether that figure also includes the money they make for pre-op and post-op appointments as well. That's not really clear from this article. And I'll need to do some more research there. And we also need to keep in mind that we live in a country where healthcare costs are not fucking regulated at all. And so a surgery that costs $20,000 at one hospital might cost 60 at another hospital. And there's no justification for that. So it's unclear also whether 20 grand is looking at the low end, the median, the average, or the high end of this surgery. So that is a little bit more here. Let's do a little bit of talking about the long-term effects here that seem to be completely neglected so far anyway in this article. Okay, so I've alluded to some of the risks and long-term effects of bariatric surgery a couple times. So let me just tell you what they are. Um, so this is from the Mayo Clinic. Um, that's my source. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm not just making shit up. Um, so let's talk about like more immediate risks that come with the surgery itself. Um, so first, excessive bleeding. Um, yikes. Infection, which, okay, yeah, that's a risk with any surgery. Adverse reactions to anesthesia, again, pretty common. Blood clots, again, pretty common. Lung or breathing problems. Here's a fun one. Leaks in your gastrointestinal system. Everybody wants to deal with that, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, oh, I would love a good, a good stomach leak. Um, and death is another one. It's listed as a rare outcome or a rare risk, but it is definitely a risk. And yes, death is a risk with a number of other surgeries. Um, but for a adolescent getting on the table and risking death for weight loss surgery, it's a little bit harder to swallow, isn't it? Now let's talk about long-term risks. Cause as I mentioned multiple times before, um, there's, this is a lifelong investment when you get bariatric surgery. It isn't like a one and done thing. There are a lot of other things that can come with this surgery. The first being that the way you eat is forever changed <laughs> forever for fucking ever. Um, you know, there's this misunderstanding or misconception, and I honestly, I'm going to call it out. It's a willful misconception um, that you get the gastric surgery and then you can go about and just do everything the way that you were and you're not going to gain weight. And that's simply not true. First of all, you can't eat as much um, like physically. Um, there's also certain foods that you used to really love, you might not ever be able to eat again because they might make you sick. Um, I know people who this has happened to. They used to love eating seafood and now when they eat fish, they throw it right back up again. So there's another thing. You might end up losing some of your favorite foods. And then on top of that, because you have altered the structure of your stomach and uh, you know, by extension, your entire gastrointestinal tract, you are at risk of malnutrition forever. And so you have to be eating in a certain way. There's a special diet that you have to follow and you need to be taking supplements to make sure that you don't develop malnutrition as well. So 
in a way, it's kind of like a new diet that we, you know, decide to take on, but we decide to get surgery first just to really make it more fun and exciting. So that's something that a lot of people don't really think about when they think about gastric surgery. It's not this like one and done, um, you know, quick and easy solution. It really is a lifetime investment. You do have to make changes and they're not insignificant changes, okay? So um, among other long-term risks and complications, bowel obstruction, dumping syndrome, which um, can include diarrhea, flushing, lightheadedness, nausea, or vomiting. It is god awful, absolutely freaking awful. Um, just, yeah, um, gallstones, hernias, hypoglycemia, or low blood sugar, which again, makes sense if you're not eating enough, malnutrition, as I mentioned, ulcers, vomiting, right? Eating too quickly, eating a little bit too much, eating the wrong foods can lead to vomiting. Acid reflux is also a risk factor uh, or a risk. And I know several people who now have acid reflux following the surgery. Um, the need for a second or revision surgery or procedure, not uncommon. And then again, we have death listed as rare. Okay. So there are, that's a long list of things. And these are longer term, right? So this isn't just like, oh, it might happen within the first month of sur after surgery. It's, this could be, these could be recurring symptoms. These could start happening years, months down the line. This isn't just like, oh, just push through it for the next couple of weeks and then you don't have to deal with it anymore. These are things that we are taking on as a long-term risk when we undergo bariatric surgery. And so asking somebody who's 15 years old to undertake these possible lifelong complications is, God, it's asking a lot, isn't it? And again, there's this question of brain development and maturity. Is somebody who is 15 years old truly able to grasp the concept of having these risks pregnant or present, pregnant, Jesus, where the hell did that come from? Present for years and years to come or for the rest of their life, right? Malnutrition is like, as an example, that's always going to be a risk. It doesn't go away. So, you know, that's, they're always going to have to be vigilant about what they eat and making sure that they're taking their supplements, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, you know, if for no other reason to be dubious of bariatric surgery for adolescents, these are some pretty good reasons, aren't they? And I'm not, you know, this isn't me trying to do to you know, use scare tactics to sway anybody to share my opinion. This is me sharing facts um, that these are the risks. Literally, this is on the Mayo Clinic website, and this is what they will tell you before you sign your consent form for surgery. Um, so, you know, I think I think this is something that's missing from a lot of the conversations, the conversations around bariatric surgery for anybody, but even adolescents as well, really tend to focus on weight as the problem, weight loss not happening, surgery as the solution. And we miss out on, okay, that, and also here are these other 
possible problems um, that could be taken on. So this is really um, definitely another reason why I'm taking some issue with uh, particularly this physician saying that this is the only effective treatment and acting as though, you know, there is this negligence going on if adolescents aren't taking the opportunity to undergo bariatric surgery. So let's talk about what we know about gastric surgery in adolescents. So I tried to find when they first started performing gastric surgeries in adolescents, and I was not able to find that information. I did find one source that said, that gastric bypass surgery was first performed in adolescents in the 1970s, um, but wasn't able to find any information about um, whether that was like the widespread use of it or whether that was just, you know, one instance, like, you know, experimental, um, <laughs> I hate to use the word experimental, but, you know, whether that was like a trial type thing or if that was when it was like officially in use. And I was also unable to find information on whether that gastric bypass is the same as we know it uh, today. But there is, you know, this is something I will say, you know, hasn't been taken lightly by the medical and surgical communities, um, obviously, because these are still developing human bodies and we need to, and, and brains, I should say. And so um, the recommendations out there is that when gastric surgery is undertaken for a teenager, it needs to be undertaken by a multiple multidisciplinary team that should involve not just the surgeons, but also a primary care physician, also um, psychotherapist, also nutritionist. So definitely kind of taking extra precautions to ensure that the risks of any adverse effects are minimized as much as possible, which I think is really important, um, particularly given the fact that this is going to result in dramatic lifelong changes, which will be difficult to process and cope with. And on top of that, also kind of working through the relationship with food and your body and, you know, surgical complications and the things that can come up. And, you know, even things like the additional attention that people get when they start to lose weight, how to cope with that. So I can definitely appreciate that this isn't just something that is being undertaken the same way across the board for children and adults. I think that that's very, very important. And hey, that's great. Um, so in terms of what we have for data regarding outcomes is um, actually, it seems that according to the data that we have, um, adolescents who undergo bariatric surgery actually have seem to have um, not not better outcomes, I guess more pronounced better outcomes when it comes to the resolution of things like type 2 diabetes and um, you know fatty liver disease than adults who undergo bariatric surgery. So it seems like those those benefits are more pronounced in adolescents. Um, so that's, you know, that's 
interesting um, and definitely, you know, a good thing to see those chronic health conditions being resolved in a very positive way. Um, so there's that information, um, you know, trying to, I've been trying to research and it's very frustrating how difficult it is to find this information. Um, you know, not only how long we have been performing these surgeries on adolescents, but also what data we have on long-term side effects. Um, you know, I found an article from 2009 that said, you know, we don't have enough data to know long-term side effects. So it seems like the widespread use of this was relatively new as of 2009 and, you know, more research was necessary as well. Um, so that's something that I definitely want to research more. You know, I think really the big thing here is the fact that it, it there's so much to cope with in the long term. Um, and it seems like the big thing that's really being emphasized in the data and within the community is making sure that there aren't any long-term nutritional complications. Um, you know, being younger, teens are going to recover better from surgery than adults do. You know, obviously there will be exceptions to that, but by and large, that is what has been seen, um, that the results tend to be better, that they tend to recover better. Um, and the big concern is making sure that those nutritional needs are met and there aren't any nutritional, um, oh my God, what's the word? <laughs> deficiencies um, that can lead to bigger issues down the line. So, you know, it's, I'm not, my point in this episode isn't to be demonizing bariatric surgery for adolescents, but what I'm saying is we really need to be hypercritical of this as an option for this age group. And we also really need to consider the circumstances that have created this situation where we have surgeons saying bariatric surgery is the only effective treatment for adolescent obesity. Um, I mean, I think like that's one hell of a claim to be making. And we really need to examine how we got to this point. And we really also need to revisit the way that we we talk about weight though the way that we approach weight as well i think that that's really really important and just as an example of how we really need to change the way that we think talk and conceptualize um, about weight listen to this fucking asinine comment that, let's see, what's this woman's name? Dr. Fatima Cody Stanford, um, an expert on obesity from Harvard and Mass General says in the NPR article, quote, obesity is a disease of the brain and people don't recognize that. They think it's a disease of willpower, end quote. I'm just gonna let that sit for a second. Because, bitch, your fat phobia is a disease of the brain, okay? <laughs> like, oh, this, like, 
This is exactly the type of medical fat phobia that lands fat patients with greater complications or worse, dead, because they don't want to go to a doctor that treats them as a pathology, who says that they have a disease of the brain. This is dangerousness. This is the threat of medical fat phobia here, okay? This is so completely inaccurate and just, oh my God. I mean, my blood boiled the second I read that. And this, you know, really, I mean, the bariatric surgery industry, and let's call it what it is, it's an industry, is based in this kind of fat phobic mentality. And when you are talking about obesity in these terms, you really aren't focusing on the well-being of your patients. Because if you were, you would re-examine your language, you would step back, and you would consider the greater universe of circumstances and you wouldn't lose sight of the individual that you're dealing with. And that's what happens when you make these sweeping generalizations and these really asinine comments like this. You're forgetting that you are working with individuals and individuals are complicated. They deserve respect no matter what size, shape, or weight they are. And they do not deserve to be treated as a pathology. So like, Fuck you to this lady. Fuck you to NPR for publishing that fucking comment. I'm not even going to hold back here. Not that I ever have on this podcast. I feel like one time I was going to say fuck and I didn't. And um, it's just weird how randomly I censor myself. There's no rhyme or reason to it whatsoever. So that's really the last thing that I'm going to say about this, this article. Um, if you want to read it yourself, you can Google it. Um, just literally NPR, bariatric surgery, adolescence. Um, you know, there's a whole lot to unpack here, as I said before. And really, you know, I'm not saying no to bariatric surgery across the board. I'm saying we really, really need to take a step back and we need to look at how we got to this point, as I said before. And we need to really tread cautiously here, really, really cautiously here, um, because we are missing a lot of really important points that led us to get to this point. And if we continue missing those points and continue to act as though this is a treatment for a disease, <sighs> There's going to be a lot more damage done, and there's already been a lot of damage done to individuals, and I'm not talking just physically, I'm talking mentally and emotionally as well. So here we go. I really want this to be a conversation starter. I'd love to have people chime in, comment on Instagram, send an email to wellandsimplepodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think about 15 and 16-year-olds undergoing bariatric surgery for weight loss. I'm really curious just to kind of get some different perspectives here. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Well and Simple Podcast. As always, if you like what you've heard, please be sure to give me a like and a review on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you have something you want to see discussed, or I guess hear discussed on a future episode, please be sure to send an email to wellandsimplepodcast at gmail.com.